Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Saddle hunters, if you are thinking of replacing some old gear, maybe getting some new gear, or if you just haven't gotten into saddle hunting yet and still are considering it, now is a great time to head over to our friends at tetherednation.com and take advantage of all the gear they have on Deal Alert. I'm sure you can find anything that you need. Probably the best resource as far as like your one-stop shop to get all of your saddle needs taken care of. I, of course, run their Phantom Saddle this year, ran the Manus Saddle last year, used the Predator platform. I use a bunch of their Daisy Chain equipment. Basically, everything I use from a saddle perspective uh, is from Tethered. And the reason being is that it's light, it's dependable, and number one, and the first and foremost, is I can trust it with my life. So be sure to head over to TetheredNation.com and check out all their gear. Also, this entire fall, they put out a ton of hunts on their YouTube channel. If you're interested in checking out the three episodes uh, from my Missouri hunt, you can head over to the Tethered YouTube channel and check those out. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single origin coffee guaranteed to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker, they're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truths from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 208. Today, Johnny Utah is back on the show, and we're talking Kansas, Iowa, and late season plans. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. Hope you got all your Christmas shopping done. Um, I wrapped up most of mine last night. I'm usually a very last-minute shopper, so the fact that I'm done... Uh, well, this is probably coming out around Christmas, uh, to be honest with you. As uh, Well, no, I, I'm actually way confused. This is not Christmas week, so I am like two weeks ahead. So <clears throat> I am actually ahead of the game. I'm usually a Christmas shopper, like the week of sometimes historically the day of, or the evening of. Um, so the fact that I'm done two ish weeks in advance is, um, 
is a pretty much a, a red letter a red letter month for this guy because uh, usually Saint Nick doesn't uh, doesn't get anything done around here till till about twenty four hours before the big dance. I like the pressure. Uh, I like to be in that pressure cooker to have to get it done at the at the last uh, at the last minute. You know, I'm expecting a Jelly of the Month Club to show up on my. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I haven't even watched the Chevy Chase movie yet this uh, this this season. We do, we're big we're big elf people here in this house. We watch a lot of. A lot of elf. But anyway, we're going to turn the page here. I don't know what all that was. We're going to go ahead and get into some deer hunting here. But uh, no, I hope you guys have had success this this, uh, this season. You know, we're pushing forward here. Obviously, the gun season in Pennsylvania just wrapped up. Um, I've not talked about this much because uh, I've, uh, I've been just trying to work through it and hoping that it would get better. Um, I've not actually been able to get out a whole lot um, the past couple weeks. Basically, since I got back from Missouri, I've been able to get out once. Um, reason being is I had... Um, a little bit of a shoulder injury uh, right before we left for Missouri. Um, and of course didn't have time to address it cause we were leaving traveling, whatever uh, got progressively worse. And, uh, and when I got back, you know, I tried to hunt, you know, one day, you know, and uh, that was the day I think I'd mentioned where I had that shooter come in behind me and I blew the opportunity and I uh, was spending some time shooting my bow, and it was just to the point to where I couldn't really even pull my bow back effectively. Like, I could get it back, but the pain was pretty was pretty bad. So, um, you know, I'm going through a lot of, you know, physical therapy and, and stuff like that, trying to get my shoulder right. So, I've not been able to get out at all, um, and don't know if I'm going to be able to get out at all for uh, the remainder of the season. Just kind of, the shoulder is going to kind of dictate what I can and can't do. Um, and the bummer was, was yesterday I had some... Uh, you know, I guess, well, it was Saturday morning. I had a PT session in the morning and I was going to go out and hunt, but it, <clears throat> it was the only time that the doctor could get me in. So I took it, um, you know, trying to address the issues and, uh, wouldn't, you know, um, the place I would have been have a cell camera nearby and, uh, a shooter shows up at like nine 30. And that's pretty much been my season. Uh, <laughs> it's been a series of near misses, you know, Wilson and I talked a little bit about that, you know, getting kicked in the ding ding. Um, and so the hits just kind of keep, uh, just kind of keep coming. So, um, you know, we'll hope that I'm able to get out here. I'm hoping that things start to feel better in like the next week or two. And I'm able to start to shoot my bow again and let that kind of be the judge as, as far as whether or not I'm going to get out and do, um, do any hunting. Cause truthfully, it's like, I've not been able to pick my bow up and I'm just not a big fan of, uh, of going out cold. So if I can't shoot my bow, um, at least for, you know, a week or so, two weeks or whatever, and kind of get dialed back in and feel good. Maybe, maybe I shoot it and in two days I feel great. You know, if that's the case, awesome. Um, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to rush it because I have some cool hunts that I want to do next year and I don't want to jeopardize having to, you know, screwing anything up any worse than it already is. So with that, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of whitetail updating to, to do on this end. Uh, so I think we're just going to get jumped into the show. Uh, I have my buddy, you know him, you love him, Mr. Johnny Utah Mulligan back on the show today. Uh, he's had a, you know, if, if you followed along with John at all, or if you've listened to the previous podcast, like he had a ripping year last year where it was like the dude just could not do wrong, you know, killed a monster bear, did a turkey slam with a bow and a, you know, on, uh, predominantly most, a lot of it was on public, um, you know, and killed a, killed a nice speed goat again this year. And so he had a really good run of just filling tags left and right. And this year, you know, lady luck hasn't shined on him quite as much. And so this session, we're just kind of talking about what happened throughout the year. John, you know, was in Kansas. He of course was hunting, hunting Iowa. He had some funky stuff happen while he was there. Um, similar to me, maybe some deer showing up on 
camera when he was in Iowa when he was out of state. Um, and he's had a specific deer that he's been chasing. And I, I'm familiar with this deer because he was chasing him last year when I was in Iowa with him. Uh, he has his sheds. He's got a lot of history with this deer. Um, and so, you know, he, this was the year that he was kind of putting on the full press. It feels like he learned enough about this deer and he's, you know, f- for the most of the year was playing cat and mouse with this deer. So without further ado, we're just going to kind of go ahead and get jumped in. I'll let John kind of explain what his year has, uh, has, has looked like to this point. So with that, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, back by popular demand. It's my brother from another mother, hailing from the Midwest. You know him, you love him. The dulcet tones of the <laughs> Iowa Strangler. <laughs> Johnny, you tell Mulligan what's going on, Jay. <laughs> That's the best one yet right there, brother. I know. Well, it's like I had to do that on the fly, too, because I was just I, I remembered it as I started doing the lead in. I was like, man, the last time we talked, we talked about how every time we do this, like I have a whole new like setup for him and I sometimes game plan him, but I didn't game plan this one. That one was just like I feel like I'm kind of like, um, I don't know, like an ace freestyle rapper or something like that. That was straight as the kids say that was straight from the dome. Right. I like it. <laughs> Good. Uh, people tuning in are like, I did not know I was going to get freestyle rap on this podcast. Right. You know, right. there you go. You know, we can maybe start a whole new subgenre of like whitetail rap. You know yeah, what I mean? There you, yeah, there you go. I like it. We could probably, you know, we could probably get some affiliation going on with like some, you know, off the wall, you know, companies or something like that that are into like nothing but like gangster whitetail rap. Cause that's what I'm all about. That's what I'm here for. Well, yeah. Gangster white tail rap. I'm trying to, I'm trying to imagine what that person would look like instead of like having big gold chains, they'd have like rattling antlers, like big rattling antlers around their neck and shit. Kind of like flavor flav of the white tail world. Uh huh. Yeah. Are you, are you picking that up? You pick it up what oh. I'm putting down? Oh, I like it. Yeah. It's good. It's good. <laughs> right now, like half the people that tuned in just totally turned this shit off. They're like, yeah, they're I'm- like, Yep, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I'm out of here. But anyway, so we have John on. John, of course, is my my dude, my man, my brother from another mother. We haven't had a chance to catch up in a while. Um, truthfully, it's like, man, I, I want to say we've maybe only talked like two, three times, like on the phone since like you know, since we, I, I probably since we both got cranking with like the rut and stuff like that, just because schedules get crazy, hunts get crazy and stuff like that. And so we've done a little catching up here and there for bits and pieces, but we haven't had like a hardcore sit down. So it just felt like it was time to sit down and just kind of like hash it all out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's always good to get, get caught up, you know, plus, I mean, like when you're in the season, uh, you're in the moment, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. uh, it's tough, you know, schedules going other ways and, Um, and my mind was, you know, completely consumed on, you know, whitetails or whatever. And yeah. Yeah. So things are winding down. Yes. Yeah. And we've both had some like wounds to lick and stuff like that. And so it just felt like a good time just to kind of talk through all that. Maybe have a, maybe like a little therapy session, you know what I mean? Might be, (laughs) (laughs) might be more, might be, might take more than just a talk uh, for me to get over my wounds. (laughs) Right, right, right. So with that, man, like we're just going to go ahead and dive right in, dude. I think the last time you and I talked, I think we, we talked about your Kentucky trip, right? Because that was very early in the season that you that you had going on. But then you also, you came back to Iowa, you did some stuff. I think you had some shoots and stuff like that in the middle as well. But then I know you went to Kansas. And 
um, I think with the folks from Headhangers, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I went and hunted over there with um, some buddies of mine, Luke and Nate, uh, that own Headhangers. And, um, and for anybody listening, uh, Headhangers is not an outfitter. Um, Headhangers, they make um, a, just a cool, simple bracket for hanging European mounts. It's yeah. very inexpensive. They make them in different colors. They also make um, turkey fan mounts as well. And then they've got table mounts that, you know, you can mount European skulls um, like on a tabletop or a desk or something like that. But um, I like how you I like how you designated that they're European skull mounts because you don't want to get anyone confused of using human ones. Yes, right. Right. <laughs> right. We're not doing uh, human cadavers um, <laughs> boiling or anything. But uh, so. And, and I'm, you know, I've got some European mounts, uh, you know, I've got my bear mount and I've got a couple of whitetails, uh, some deadheads even and stuff like that, you know, that were cool that I picked up. And, uh, so anyways, they're, uh, they're good buddies of mine. And, and ironically, all the years that I was, you know, doing the wicked tree gear booths, um, at the Iowa deer classic, they were diagonal across the aisle from me every single year. And every year I'd always pick up one or two from them. And then the next year, one or two and one or two, and I was paying full retail like anybody else, you know, and, right. um, we just became friends over the years. And, and, um, Nate was like, dude, once you, once you put in for a Kansas tag and if, and when you ever draw one, uh, you can come hunt some of our ground that we've got leased up or permission hunts, you know, permission land and whatnot. So, I put in this year back in March and I got drawn. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't know when was going to be the right time to go. Um, looking at their weather, things were getting cold and nasty. And I thought, man, I'm going to try to go here this last week of October of Iowa. Now I, for one, love the last week of October in Iowa. If we have a good cold front, right. Uh, what I did not know was going to happen this year is we were going to have five consecutive days of a cold front in Iowa. And the whole time I was in Kansas, I'm watching slammers getting shot all over Southeast Iowa. Well, I mean, pigs, yeah. pigs. Yeah. And not only that you had in Iowa and we'll get to your Iowa stuff here in a second, not to let the cat out of the bag, but there's been a specific buck and we even mm -hmm. talked about him, I think in the last time that you and I chatted because he had showed back up, right? Because he had yeah. he hadn't kind of Tyson is is what yeah. you call him. He hadn't yep. showed back up, and we were a little concerned. Like, did he make it? Did he not make it? Like, you have his sheds, but like, did he like? Why is he not showing up? Like, this is the time frame he should be here. And then he and then he presented, right? And it was like, okay, cool, he's going to be around. And then you know, <laughs> you went to Kansas, which we were talking about it. You're like, I live in Iowa, the last week of October, and I'm leaving. You know, and then sure enough, like what happened? What happened on your trail cameras while you were in Kansas? Yeah, so <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Kansas, and um, I drive, I get up early Sunday morning, super friggin' early, and I drive all the way up to Kansas. It took me about seven and a half hours to get there. I get out there, I have just enough time to like, hey, what's up, guys? How are you? Yeah, it was a long drive. Let's get into a tree stand. So immediately get into a tree stand. It's super windy and I start cracking antlers together, getting real aggressive right off the bat. And the buck that I came out there to try to kill comes running into 41 yards behind me. And I'm like, oh, oh, you know, there he is. There he is. Right. And I'm like, man, light's fading. But 
um, he stands there for like, I thought it was like five minutes, but realistically it was probably like a minute and a half or something, but you know how it is when you're in the woods. Um, he's standing there broadside for me at 41 yards. I was in like a bunch of, uh, like a hedgerow thicket Mm -hmm. and, um, they were all, you know, this was October 25th. So every, all the leaves are still on and with a 22 mile an hour crosswind, the leaves are just chattering. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't even hear my camera guy. Um, I'm just kind of reading his lips at this point and I'm just like, get on him. I'm, I'm about to shoot him. And so he gets on him. Um, I draw back and I'm thinking, man, 40, 41 yards. Like that's kind of one of those magic number areas that a deer could possibly duck. Right. And, and then I think better of it and I'm like, man, if I hold low, I'm going to end up shooting underneath him or hit him low. As windy as it is, there's no way he's going to hear this bow go off. And watching it on in real time, I thought I smoked him. Right. Um, we watch it on video, and I realize that it looked like in the last five yards of arrow flight, the buck completely dropped all the way to his chest, <laughs> and I shot right over top of him. Clean miss. And, um, I'm, I'm sick, you know, but he was a slammer buck too, dude. Um, you know, we, we estimated him to be about 145 or maybe 150 inch eight pointer, but he had like nine, 10 inch brow tines. Um, yeah, just dude, that's from an eight point, man. That's just like, that's huge. Oh, insane. And then in like seeing him in person, um, if you were to put a board on his shoulders and his rump, he probably had a six to seven inch sag in his back. Um, on the hoof, he, he is hands down the biggest bodied buck that I've ever had an opportunity at in my life. And I actually think he's 150, 155 as an eight pointer. Damn, he dude. was huge. And that's the crazy and, thing. When we were talking right after that, like we had a quick phone call and you mm-hmm. were saying like one of your buddies shot one out there and you were, you were explaining to me just how big they are. Right. And like the biggest deer I've ever seen on the hoof was when I was out in Iowa with you last year. Right. Like that yep. was like the biggest, mm-hmm. you know, when I saw a deer, regardless of the size, it was just like the bodies of them were just, you know, big and you can find some decent sized body deer in PA. You can find some good bucks in, in Ohio, like big body deer or whatever, but there was just something different about the ones I was seeing in Iowa. Like just like the size, even like the does were big, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. But yeah. what you were telling me though, this, the size of those Kansas deer, cause you were like, I was like, are they the same size as the Iowa, Iowa deer, you know, or what's the deal with, you know, the discrepancy in size. You're like, dude, it's not even close. You're like, it's like Angus. Yeah, they were, they're, they're big. They're, they really are big out there. And, and we've got giant, giant bucks in Iowa. Um, but, and, and this, it, and, and we'll get into Tyson later, but it, I swear it's like, I've seen two different genetic types in Southeast Iowa. Hmm. It's like you have the central Iowa giant bodies and then you have like the Missouri, hmm. you know, cause right. I mean, those deer can cross the Des Moines river. Sometimes it's only two foot deep in places, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's almost like there's a there's two different genetic types or something. Um, sometimes they can be long, 
uh, long and sleek. And then other times they're just like heifers. You right. know what I mean? Right. So, um, so anyway, this, this, this fella ducks the arrow. He ducks the arrow, uh, clean miss. And I'm like, man, maybe we can get back on him again. And, um, I wake up the next morning and Tyson, my buck in Iowa walks right under my stand five yards. <laughs> and he does it like three times that day, all be- between seven and 9.00 AM, yeah. which, you know, when I look at the wind, that is the stand that I would have gone to, you know, that's the stand that I would have chose. Um, and I'm just like, Oh my God, you know what I mean? I'm like, dude, I'm sick. And I'm like, well, I'm here in Kansas. I can't think about Iowa right now. I got to try to bang this out. Well, around the 26th, you know, Kansas is a bait state. Um, but they're not coming to feed. It is full on pre rut chasing, antler rattling they're running around like crazy there is no pattern and i went the next three days four days hunting out there and saw one possible shooter at 100 yards and the rest were just little scrubs running around or no deer whatsoever wow um it was so hit or, you know, hit and miss, but, yeah. um, my buddy, Nate, he shot a slammer. He shot a 60 class buck while we were out there. Um, so that was cool. And, um, and another buddy of mine, less, uh, less Welch, he's another, a fellow Sitka ambassador. He was out there hunting as well. Um, we're all, you know, mutual friends and stuff. So, nice. um, he, um, he didn't have anything. So while I was out there, I got news from my mom that my dad was really, really sick and was going in for some tests. We didn't really know exactly what it was, but it possibly was looking like maybe it was cancer and whatnot. And I'm like, man, it's time to get out of here. I need to at least make it back to Iowa. That puts me a little closer to Kentucky if I need to run home and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, And like I said, everything was so erratic. Les stayed and... And, and I'm not talking shit on less, less shot at a buck and had a buck duck his arrow. Damn. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like I, I, I dropped off the bad voodoo while I was out there, you know? <laughs> right. Um, what so was, like, what was the habitat like there? Cause I mean, I'm, my plan is to go to Kansas next year. Right. That's kind of like in, in the cards for me, you know, at least, you know, as long as, um, everything works out and you know my my health is right or whatever you know what i mean like not anything unforeseen comes up i'm headed to kansas is the plan you yeah know, what was the what was the habitat like where you were hunting because i mean kansas has a lot of different depending on where you're at in the state you can be in yeah. all kinds of different stuff yeah um so i was kind of in like oil field country okay um like uh lions uh selena um kansas in that right. area and, um, there was, I mean, there was timber, not a lot of trees to get into. I mean, right. not, not what you and I consider typical tree stand sets where you're going to get 20, 25 foot up in a tree. Right. Um, these were like hedge apples and you, if you don't die climbing 10 feet and trying to get into a stand, like screw in steps are very popular because you can't even find a tree that's straight 
enough over the course of 30 inches that your traditional climbing sticks, the V brackets would actually have a flat spot to meet on. Right. I mean, it was funky. Um, and I am not a fan of screwing screw-ins at all. Yeah. I've, I've seen them move. I've seen them break. I've seen people fall, slip off of them, get real fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause those things, if they break, man, it's like, they just turn into a knife. Oh yeah. <laughs> exactly. Know? Yeah. They just shear <clears throat> and, um, yeah, awful. So, um, so anyways, um, so that, I, uh, so that was kind of Kansas in a nutshell, right? Like you were like, yeah, that was it. It was, you had uh, a great opportunity at a good buck and it just didn't, it just didn't, just didn't yeah. pan out. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, and that's the thing, like we've all been in that situation, bow hunting, whether you're shooting a buck or a doe and uh, the deer ducks, jumps the string, ducks, the arrow, whatever you want to call it. Um, I have done a lot more talking to some very intelligent people when it comes to audio and decibel levels and decibel readings and that kind of stuff. I always thought that it was the deer was reacting to either a loud broadhead or the veins of an arrow or whatever. Right. Um, that's not what it is. It is the bow. Hmm. Um, it is either, well, I take that back. It is either the bow or they just simply catch movement of the arrow. Right. Um, it's not so much the noise of the arrow or of the arrow flight itself. Correct. Yep. Yep. So, um, that's crazy because if they were to hear the arrow, um, it's too late. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've stood, you know, not, not behind a target or anything like that, but, you know, have put a camera right on a target or something like that and took a shot to film up an arrow. Right. Yep. And if you crank the audio up, you can, you know, now our hearing is not as good as a deer, obviously, but you can, you can hear it, you know, you can begin to hear it. And by the time you hear it, it's already, it's on it. It's on the target. Yep. You, know, you know what I mean? So, you know, you can kind of hear that little before it makes impact, but it's like, it's like a millisecond before it makes impact. Now they would yeah. hear it, they would hear it a little in, in advance of that, but like you said, it's like if by the time they hear that, it's 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 already it's already too late. But that's like just goes to show like the the you know like I guess the importance of having a bow that's going to be quiet as quiet as possible on release and doing everything you can do to to dampen and shoot heavier arrows so it absorbs more of the more of the sound or more of the vibration of the bow or whatever the case is. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You know. Um. So. That, yeah, that was that was Kansas, and and I can accept that. You know what I mean? I mean, it sucks. Um, I don't like it, <laughs> but <laughs> like I can accept it. It is right. what it is. You know, um, and and life goes on, right? Yeah. So I do have some plans, um, of going back out to Kansas this year if uh, if everything works out. I'm gonna try to go back. Um, you know, either before Christmas or, uh, or after Christmas or something like that. Right. Nice. Um, it is a $600 tag. So right. I, I want to try, I, I do want to try to fill it, you know, if I can. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I come back to Iowa and I'll be honest, you know, a lot of the family stuff is weighing on me pretty hard. And, yeah. and my mom's like, Hey, just plan on coming in around Thanksgiving and, um, just, you know, do your thing out there in Iowa and, 
you know, keep hunting, try to, you know, get your, get your buck down. So, um, I get right back into, into, you know, my property and I'm on Tyson and I've said this before, if any of the listeners, uh, remember me talking about my property that I hunt here, you know, it's just barely over hundred acres. It's mm-hmm. easy to burn it out yep. because 60 acres is pasture. Yeah. So I've only got about 45 acres of, of timber. And, um, so if I'm not careful, I can smoke it out and I'm screwed. Right. Right. So I'm having to really play cat and mouse. Some days I'm hunting cause I just really want to hunt, but I'm really not in the best spot. You know, I'm like, I'm probably not going to see Tyson, but I'm also not blowing my property out either, you know? Right. Um, and of course there's always that puncher's chance, you know, that right. you could see something else, but well, how many times is that deer? You know what I mean? Like you, you have enough history with that deer and you've seen him multiple times. You saw him multiple yep. times last year. You've have him on camera, like on, on like that. You've actually filmed him. Right. And yep. you yep. have plenty of like, you know, trail camera pictures of him and stuff like that. It's like, and you know, like how many times during the course of the past like year or so, right. Has he, you know, zagged when you thought he was going to zig, right. Where you're like, oh, he's totally should be showing up here. Like based on this one. And then all of a sudden you're like man, he just popped out of somewhere. I've never, ever seen him. Yeah. You know and he's, mean? he's always, and that's the way he's always been. He's always been so erratic. Um, even last year, the times that I saw him and passed him, you know, my buddy goes, well, do you think he winded you? I'm like, he stood at 85 yards downwind of me or 85 yards in a different location. So if he winded me, he would have been like gone, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, what do you think, you know, and we're going to play a psychologist here of a deer, which is probably the dumbest thing we could possibly do. But <laughs> but what do you think? Like what because you have the history you have with this deer, right? Like, you know, and and I'm sure you've thought about this cuz I think about it even whenever I don't have nearly as much history with a deer. You know, trying to think about like what the hell makes him so erratic? Like why? Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, is on your property, it'd be one thing if like the food sources were shifting or whatever, right? Like those, yeah. type, like those things make sense, right? Or, a, or a doe pulled him into like a, into like, or he's on, on a doe and he's in like a different area because he was on a doe, following a doe or whatever, right? Yeah. But it's like a lot of the times when you've seen him be erratic, it's like, like, it's hard to, like, I can't figure out, like, I haven't been able to figure out what it is. I'm just curious if you've like sat and thought about like, what the hell is making him do like this weird shit that I can never figure out what it is he's going to do other than just yeah. being, other than just being a deer. Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, just being a deer, um, uh, you know, because and I want, the only consistency that I have ever noticed about this deer in particular is he has always entered fields um, with the wind in his back. Hmm. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Now, is he already scent checking by circling that field? it threw the timber before he entered it already. And that's why he came in with the wind in his back. Or is he so comfortable on that property 
that he just does whatever he wants to do. And I'm hunting him thinking he's going to be using his senses and his defenses. Right. Right. So maybe that's the cat and mouse. Maybe I, you know, and, and, and I've thought about that. Like maybe I'm hunting him like he's scared to death and he's, and he's like every other deer. And actually he's just like, man, I am safe here. Nothing can hurt me here. You know, like I said, every time he's ever come in, he's had the wind in his back. So now has there been does there when he's come in with the wind in his back or has it been both like does and no does? Both. Both. Yeah. Does and no does. Um, so on the third encounter that I had with him this year was finally in a shootable, killable opportunity. I was in my grizzly box blind and there was, he was just following a doe. And I want to say this was like November. Oh, what was this? Like November 6th, maybe seventh, mm-hmm. six or seventh, something like that. Um, he, he was just following the doe wherever she went is where he went. And he, he followed her. She came, uh, in front of me at like 20 yards and he was hanging out like at 40. And I'm like, there's no need to draw back on him now because the doe, she had me pegged. Right. Um, there was something about the box blind that she didn't like. She never has. She's the one doe oh, on my yeah. property that has never, you know, the doe I'm talking about. I know exactly which doe you're talking about. We saw, yep. we, we did one hunt together last year whenever, yep. I, when I was out with you, um, and, uh, that doe popped out and it's like, no lie. She hit a certain part in that food plot and she just stopped and stared and started stomping. She, there's yep. no way on God's green earth. She could see us. There's nope. no way on God's green earth. She could smell us. She yep. just did not like the box. And it's not like the box blind just showed up. <laughs> like, yeah. It's been there all year. Yeah. Been there for two years now. And so she, same doe. And I'm like, Oh, as much as I'd like to shoot her, like he's following her right now. I, so I can't shoot her. I'm like, I just need her to keep on moving through the field and drag him on in front of me. Now, if you're familiar with, you know, the windows of blinds, I need her to pass through my window so she can't see me draw inside the blind. Right. And so I can draw to shoot him. And so I've got him at 29 yards and as I range him D loop. As soon as I go to draw, she just either heard something, sensed something, whatever she blows out. And of course, so then he turns a 180. like what's going on. Why are we running? Okay, well, if you're running, I'm running. Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that might have been my one opportunity this yeah. year. Um, so fast forward, I was uh November 12th. I went into a tree stand that is only 40 yards from the blind, but it's on the opposite side. And he walks out completely by himself. There's no does in the field, he's got the wind in his back. And, uh, it's, you know, it's in my face. He walks out and he's walking completely broadside perpendicular to me. And I'm like, finally, this is my opportunity. I've got to capitalize. Um, I know what trail he's walking on through my clover and I can range ahead of him. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's walking a straight line theoretically. So I'm like, okay, I range it 37 yards. I dial my single pin, you know, to 37 yards I wait, I wait, I wait, I draw, get anchored in, I stop him. And when I stop him, he goes on full alert and looks straight up 
the tree and he's got, he's looking right at me pegged. It doesn't matter. As soon as he looks at me, I'm releasing the arrow already, but he's at 37 yards and everything tells me at that distance, I'm not shooting a 400 feet per second crossbow, nor at, at 28 and a half inches of draw length, I'm not shooting a bow that's shooting 350 feet per second because I shoot a real heavy arrow. Right. Um, I'm probably like 280 on my bow. And uh, so I'm like, uh, I better hold a little low um, because I'm thinking Kansas. You know I was just going to say, dude, it's like when you have these experiences like in other places, right? Like you start you start to think about those things. You, know? yep. I mean, you start to think about, okay, I had a deer. It was like 40 yards difference, right? And like it dropped like to, you know, it, it, it dropped to China. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? Yep. It's like so. Yep. And he, um, I put it right on his armpit like right below the armpit, actually, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I was theoretically, I was like two inches above the brisket line, you know? And I'm thinking if he drops a little bit, it's heart. If he drops a whole lot, it's still double lung. Right. And he doesn't even flinch. (laughs) And I actually hit him right where, if you follow the front leg up, right where the front leg meets the other bone, and it starts to make that 45 degree angle, you yep. know what I mean? Towards yep. the neck. I hit him right at that socket. <laughs> and, uh, I, and I'm like, Oh no. You know what I mean? Like yeah. instantly he turns, spins, bolts out. He gets about 10 yards away from where the arrow hit him. And I hear <laughs> like, I hear the leg bone break. Wow. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like if I, if I actually thought it would have done something, I was fully prepared to unhook my tether and just take a header out of the tree. <laughs> but I'm in like a multi-stemmed oak, um, multi-trunked yeah. oak. So I'm just going to like plinko all the way down to the bottom. You know what I mean? And right. I'm going to have like some bruises and, you know, a couple of strawberries and that's about it. So, right, right. And then be more pissed at myself. Like I can't even kill myself, you know? Right. <laughs> um, so, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Well, I mean, he blows out of there, you know? So I wait about 15 minutes. I get down ever so quietly. I go straight to where my arrow is because I can see the the knock, you know, laying right. there. And I have full blood all the way through my arrow. Did it pass through? I don't remember. Well, I, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, okay. it, it, it passed through. So I'm like, and it's not meaty blood like there's no hair on the arrow it didn't get wiped clean from muscle and um so i'm like okay i don't know what to do and my theory has always been if you don't see them fall in the field or see them crash then if he's dead now he's more dead later you know yeah so i um, I go completely away from the direction he ran and I go back to my truck and gather my thoughts. I wait about an hour and then I go back to the food plot and I, th- I'm thinking, all right, I am just going to walk with my red lamp only. And I'm just going to see if I have any blood leaving the arrow and it's pouring blood. Right. I mean, pouring, pouring like heart blood. And I'm thinking, you know what? It might have actually hit that leg bone 
and then just turned up or even horizontal and came across right at the bottom of his heart. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have a two inch mechanical and you know, I'm not a mechanical broadhead shooter, but that day in particular, I was actually, I wanted to try out a new brand, um, of, uh, of broadhead. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I thought, you know what, there is a chance with that kind of broadhead. I might've, I might've snaked the bottom of that heart. And for the first 60 yards, I'm not even looking at blood. I'm looking for a white belly. Right. I'm thinking I, I did, I completely heart shot him and it, I mean, it's blood pouring everywhere. And then all of a sudden it went to just drops hmm. and it continued for drops for 1200 yards. Jeez. And, um, then I'm starting to think, okay, well, it's not a heart shot. And if it is in that leg shoulder, um, I might've caught an artery or some good veins. So the best thing I can do is to keep pushing him and keep him bleeding. Right. Uh, if in theory, if I was still bumping him, you know, right. Did you find, uh, did you find any beds as you were like any, anywhere where you laid down or anything like that on your way? 12 beds over the course of 1200 yards. Yeah. Uh, with big pools of, you know, coagulated blood and finally batteries run dead. And I'm like, that's it. We got to call it tonight on headlamps and stuff. So I go home. I don't sleep. Wake up first thing in the morning. We pick up the trail again. We go another 200 yards and we find three beds inside of 10 feet with dried up, coagulated, thick blood, you know, and then that's it. Nothing. Um, so like any ethical hunter, um, I, I'm not, I can't just, I, I don't just go get my bow and get back in the stand again. I end up grid searching for two days. Um, I had four or five buddies with me as well. We grid searched for a couple of days. And after two days, we, we have searched everything legally that we can search. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had blood that crossed over to one property, which does allow me to, you know, cross property lines in Iowa. Um, but I, like I said, we grid searched everything legally. We could, I knocked on a door. I got permission to grid search one additional property and he was, he was not there. And so I'm thinking, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know at this point um, if he's, if he's alive, dead coyotes. I know that he's only on three legs. So fast forward two weeks, all of a sudden I get a trail camera picture of him and he's limping on a trail camera um, on an Exodus cam. And I, so I'm like, Oh my God, he's still alive. That's amazing. Um, even though I really wanted to kill him, I'm more happy that he is alive and not dead somewhere that I can't find him or coyotes got him or something like that. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so now we're like, all right, where is he going to resurface? And I make a play, um, into some recently cut corn and I'm like, you know what, if I'm him and he's lost a ton of weight, I'm going to that cut corn. That's where I'm going to go. So two nights ago, um, I went into the cut corn and there he comes walking out and, <laughs> and I text you cause I think you sent me a picture of that yep. and, and I text you back. I'm just like, dude, he is taunting you. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was ridiculous. And he came out at 89 yards through the, through the trees. Um, you know, there's no way I could have made a bow shot, you know, through those branches and stuff, but right. he came out at 89 yards and I watched him for our, 
I don't know, 45 minutes <laughs> until it got dark. And he, by the time it got dark, he was about 140 yards. <laughs> um, he just slowly, but surely fed away from me. And, um, and, and do believe me, like it was a two mile an hour wind day. Had I had more wind, the wind was in my favor. I was prepared to climb down and, and walk through the timber right. and try to sneak up on him and stalk up on him. And just, if I could get within 40, 50 yards and let one fly. Um, yeah, but two mile an hour wind, dry, crunchy leaves. It was, yeah, I, you, he was I, I, yeah, I tried it. I mean, I, I made it down to the base of my stand and I walked like two steps and I'm like, it's not possible. Like, <laughs> right. Crouching tiger, hidden dragon couldn't pull this off. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, um, exactly. I was like, do I have a zip line where I could zip line <laughs> into the field? You know, like, right. You might got a helicopter, um, teleport was, something. Yeah. Yeah. I was just screwed. And I'm like, there's, I, I'm literally, there's nothing I can do. There's 140 yards open field between us. And so I had to let it, let it, you know, let him go. Yeah. Um, and I've been out there the last night and tonight and, uh, last night and tonight I had two little scrub bucks and I had, I think I had 11 does last night and then I had nine does tonight. Um, but, uh, you know, what cut corn in Iowa seems like you've got like three to four good nights after the, after they combine, and then it kind of loses some of the attraction. Right. But um, those first three, four nights, it's like every deer in the area is coming, you know, is coming to that cut corn. But right. just because they they leave so much behind. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's how tonight ended. Tomorrow is the last day of early archery season here in Iowa. And then um, I'm, I'm probably going to get yelled at and people will get pissed for this. But uh, keyboard warrior time. going to get some nasty grams. Yeah, well, we had just, we just have a we have a whole bunch of boomers, man, that'll right. be out there with their shotguns and their bush lights and party hunting and yeah, letting her fly. Yeah, Same and that's thing. coming from a guy that wounded a buck. I mean, I get it, you know, it's on right. me, but um, right, yeah. Uh, it is what it is. Yeah, we have the same thing in MPA. We're in the midst as we, you and I are talking right now. We're in the midst of our of our gun season. And, uh-huh. uh, I mean, look, people want to go gun hunt, you know, good on you. I, I, I just don't enjoy it. You know, it's not something I, that I, that I'm into. And, uh, you know, so I usually set these two weeks out and just kind of let it, I mean, I can hunt with a bow if I would like. Um, but look, I've been shot at during small game season. I ain't trying to get shot at with a, yeah. <laughs> with a deer well, rifle. And, you know what I mean? And that's so, my thing. I have nothing against guns, obviously former law enforcement. I, right. I, 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 I love guns. Um, and I don't have anything against gun hunting. I am very anti party and gun driving. Right. Um, one, I think party hunting becomes completely illegal. Um, just because, I mean, it, it's kind of crazy whenever 107 year old women supposedly bought a buck tech right. uh, and they were in the party. Like I'm sure they were dragging their oxygen tank through the corn, you know, <laughs> right pushing draws, but, um, and then gun driving. I mean, every year I get, I'm on the DNR, you know, email list. It's like every couple of days during gun season, uh, another person died, another person died, another person died. And I'm like, Jesus people, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so dangerous. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, this is just me personally. I just don't trust 
other people enough. You know what I mean? To be in the timber, especially on public land here in Pennsylvania, where it's just like, there's a lot of hunters, you know what I mean? We have like per capita, I think the most hunters in the freaking country, you know what I mean? Like I, I think it was between us and Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, you know, I think we had maybe 800 and some odd thousand, you know, we used to be right around a million, you know what I mean? It's dropped in recent years. You know, I think it's ticked up just a little bit, maybe, maybe this year from if, you know, memory serves from what I've heard, but you know, and you know, public land is, you know, there's a lot of folks out there enjoying their, 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 their free access and, and good for them. But I just don't trust being around people with firearms enough to, to want to be in that, in that situation. It's the same reason why I'm really apprehensive hunting, hunting turkeys on public land, because people just don't take the time to identify what it is that they're, what, what it is that they're aiming at, you know what I mean? So, you know, like for me, it's like a lot of, I, I do hunt some turkeys around here on public, you know, but what I've kind of decided is I think I'm just going to have a turkey camp back at our family farm and now hunt turkeys back there. Cause there's a bunch of birds and I don't have to worry about it, you know? So, but yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to, um, you know, the, the gun season, you know, here coming to a, a close at some point and looking forward to getting back out for, for late season and stuff like that. Is that kind of your game plan is like, you know, take a little break and then kind of get back on it after. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, um, I've got a photo shoot, in Oklahoma, um, you know, I'm not bougie enough for like the Bass Masters, but I've got some Cat Masters. There you go. Um, photo work to go do, which, dude, I'm telling you, those catfishing people, they are ate up with it. Um, really? And their boats are just as expensive, I assure you. Um, <laughs> but I've got a, I got a Cat Masters thing to go do down in uh, Grove, Oklahoma for a few days. And... Uh, that's, that'll be during our shotgun season here. Um, and I don't know when I'm going to go to Kansas. I I would like to go to Kansas during our shotgun season. So I'm not missing any of the late season. Um, but December 20th through, I think it's maybe the January the 8th or 9th or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but we have our late season, which is muzzle loader slash archery. Right. Uh, now my first season archery tag since i didn't tag a buck it is still valid Hmm. so technically i will still have two buck tags for the late season right um and and at the end of that i mean that that game is all food period right food 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 standing beans cut beans standing corn cut corn um or you know turnips or you know something like that but that's the name of the game there you know, I went to all clover this year, so my clover doesn't have a lot of draw now that we've had some frost and yeah. um, it's changed the plant structure and palatability of that. So that's not going to be a good thing for me. But like I said, I do have a um, a cut cornfield. It might still have some attraction in right. a couple weeks. We'll see. Yeah, man. I wish <clears throat> I, I'm not a great. I'm not a great late se- late season hunter, you know, and I just, I don't have a lot of, um, food around me on some of these places. So I, I'm not quite sure what my plan is going to be for, for late mm-hmm. season as of, as of now. Um, the one thing I have considered though, cause I have a buddy, Johnny Stewart, he comes out to Iowa almost every late season because literally, you know, maybe I shouldn't say anything, but non-residents can basically buy a late season Iowa tag almost as like an over the counter. Like you're almost assured to get it you know yep. and that's yep. what and that's what he does so he basically comes out and hunts Iowa every year and 
for the most part and always always manages to get get the tag and he comes out and usually you know muzzleloader hunts it or you know he brings his bow and a muzzleloader and he'll decide which he wants to hunt with you know on a given day or whatever yep. and so it's one of those things where you know i don't know how good hunting the public out there would be you know during during late season i think you may you, you maybe have some of the similar struggles you know i know there's that at least on the piece that i hunted with that you shared with me, you know, there is a big cornfield that's back there. So that might be the one place that's in play potentially, yep. you know, yep. Yep. Um, otherwise, you know, just trying to find a good old boy that'll let you come on, on their property for the end of the, you know, for the last like week, two week or two of the season to hunt some, hunt some fields and stuff like that and try to find some, some food weary bucks or whatever would be an option. But it's something I've considered just to be able to try to come out more often is to do that late season jam. But you know, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I mean, I, I know, I know people have good success late season a lot. It does seem like the people that have the most success are private landowners that are planting food for deer. Yeah. And he basically uh, has a relationship with a farmer that he's hunted at that person's farm for, yep. I don't, it might be 10 years or whatever, but it's been years. He's hunted the same place. And so they, they let him come out and hunt it whenever he wants. So, yep. you know, so that's, you know, good for him. He has an opportunity to go hunt a piece of private just you know, through a relationship. And so that's, you know, it, it makes sense for him. I'm not sure it would make a whole lot of sense for me if I don't have a, a specific place that I'm going to go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I've got a buddy of mine that has thrown out the idea that on his farm, they, they always seem to have a lot of late season bucks come through there. And granted, some of them are pretty busted up and you know what I mean? It's right. kind of slim, slim pickings, you know, but right. Uh, but he does have some late season activity and I might have an opportunity to jump out on his place and go after one out there. Um, but I, I mean, I am by no means throwing in the towel. Right. Um, but I'm also one of those people that can, I can talk about the status of the season and I'm also a realist. I'm like, damn, I might be snapping a streak here of at least one buck with my bow per year. Um, I, I got like a 14 year streak going. I'm right. like, Oh damn, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I had opportunities, you know, here's the thing, you know, mature deer, sometimes one particular buck, you might only get one or two good opportunities at that deer all year. And I've had five. Right. Um, so I'm happy and on the same hundred acre piece. Right. Yeah. So, I, in that regard, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy with myself on that, my, you know, give myself a little, little golfers clap. Um, uh, but on the execution, um, I fucked up royally. Right. And yeah. I, and I'm beating myself up over that. No, I hear you, man. Like it's, you know, I, I wasn't hunting a specific, well, I kind of was, but I was kind of hunting a, a group of deer on a couple of different pieces here in Pens in, in, in PA, um, in one in particular that I was trying to kill. And, you know, it was like what you were talking about earlier, whenever you were in Kansas and Tyson shows up on when you're in Kansas, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A similar situation here for me where it's like, I couldn't hunt Sundays. Cause those two, we had a couple Sundays we could hunt, but these two in particular, you couldn't hunt. And I hunted on Saturday had the right wind, had the same wind the next day on Sunday deer didn't show on Saturday deer showed at like, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, I would have been in the tree like to kill him following weekend same thing had the right wind hunted that spot on saturday couldn't hunt it on sunday deer showed up at 9 a.m 
would have been in that spot <laughs> to kill that deer that day. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, I was just missing him, not knowing, I just wasn't on, I wasn't, when I could hunt, wasn't timing up with his, with his route when he was looping through to, to hit yeah. that, to hit that scrape, you know? And I was being done dirty by just the fact that I couldn't hunt that particular day. And then Missouri, similar to you, it was almost like, dude, I don't know. It was like three days later or something like that, or two days later when you hit Tyson, you know, I ended mm-hmm. up hitting one in Missouri, looked all over the place for it, couldn't recover it. And I've told that, told, told that story, went and got permission on the private that was surrounding it and searched it and had some buddies come in to help to search it. Zach's, you know, cousin, Chad helped, Zach helped, you know, we went all over the place looking for that thing. And, you know, high, high shoulder and, and, you know, that film will come out here in a, soon like that was all filmed with tethered and put out they've put out a couple films of that of that whole hunt and i think the next one you'll see that where it's like not until we went back and looked at the footage was there a small branch that was there that like i couldn't see when i drew back to shoot you know in the shadows and and bullshit and clip that branch but when you slow-mo it and go back zach was looking at he's like when you slow-mo it i can see the branch your arrow passes the branch is gone you know and that was and that was all it took and it makes you sick man it's like and i kind of kicked myself because I had one more day to hunt that, uh, if I want, or no, I shouldn't say one more day. I had basically the next morning to hunt that, but I was just kind of down in the dumps, you know, from hitting that deer and wounding it and not finding it. And, and of course I walked through everything that I had scouted and blew everything up, you know what I mean? To where I was like walking back in there. It's like, if there wasn't anything in there, we've kicked it out while we were grid searching everything. So yeah. it was kind of, well, pointless. and that's exactly where I was at when I was grid searching for my buck, you know, believe me, I mean, the thought went through my head. I went, man, if I spend a couple of days grid searching and I don't find him, my season's over. Yeah. Um, because I'm completely smoking this thing. And, but you know, it, it was, it was the only option I had. I had to do my due diligence and look for that deer. And I did not have a single buck or doe come through my property for 10 days. Wow. That's crazy, man. Yeah. I mean, just smoked it. Well, like I said, and that just was evident of what I already knew about you have to hunt that property so cautiously um, and scent free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's been a season in this series, you know, kind of for both of us of missed opportunities. Chad and I were lamenting, lamenting this as well. Cause it's, he, he kind of had the same thing. Like he missed one in Missouri, you know, shot right under it. You know, it was at full draw on it. I think at a second time, same deer. Um, mm. I came back to PA and had one of the three deer that I was trying to kill. The one I lost track of like early in the season, like late September, I like he disappeared and I never saw him again. So there was really two that I was trying to kill. And one of the two, um, well, there was three really, but two of them were the, really the ones that I've, was prioritizing, I guess. And the one actually came through like the first week that I was back from, uh, my trip, I went out and hunted and seven o'clock in the morning, he walks through on a zombie walk, not chasing a doe, the slow as you could possibly want him. And I screwed that up because I just didn't grab my bow in time. And I waited too long. Like, I don't know. Like, do you, let me ask you this, man. Do you ever get lazy and then lazy is not the right word. Maybe it's too confident, right? Cause I felt like I was overconfident, which is why I didn't pick my bow up. Cause I heard what I thought was a deer. I convinced myself it was a squirrel, but then I heard it again. I was like, now nah, it's gotta be a deer. And I'm watching it and I saw a deer. I didn't mm-hmm. pick, I didn't pick up my bow because I like, there was a forky and a doe that were kind of visiting this scrape pretty often. Right. And I was mm-hmm. like, I convinced myself it was probably one of those two. So I didn't pick up my bow. I was like, Oh, that's one of those two deer, but I yeah. couldn't see his head yet. 
you know, and then all of a sudden I saw tines and I was like, oh, that's probably that forky still didn't pick up my bow. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden his head popped through the brush and it was like, oh shit, that's one of the shooters. And by that time I picked up my bow and once he crossed that brush, there was nothing between he and I any longer. Like, you know, there was like, he had full visibility of me and he was at 14 yards, but I couldn't turn to shoot. And yeah. it was like, it was my own. I guess my question to you is, is like, have you ever been like overly confident of what you're hearing or what you think you're going to see that you've made the mistake of not taking action quick enough and then screwed your opportunity? Uh, totally. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, there's been, there's been times where like, I almost have to tell myself, I'm like, pick your friggin' bow up, like get ready just in case, you know? Right. Um, there, and I think there's some, some, some complacency that goes on sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes I have to kind of tell myself, um, I'll tell you one thing that I, I don't know if this had anything to do with this season or not, but something I used to always do back in the day is I would shoot a, a doe or two really early in the season, Mm -hmm. get the rust out of the way, just going through the motions of grabbing your bow, getting in position ranging, drawing, shooting. Um, I mean, we've, we've all done it a bunch, but it is, it's, it's different in a tree than it's in when you're in your backyard. Um, you know, the last time, so I shot my antelope on set, no, on August 29th. And then the next time I drew back on a, on a deer was in Kansas. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next time was November 12th. So I think there's something to be said about going that long with drawing your bow back on an animal, you know what I mean? So next year come October, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to go to a tree stand set where I don't think that I will, would see my buck Mm -hmm. and I'm going to shoot the first doe that comes out. Yeah. Just, I, I, you know. I, I agree with you, man. You know, it's, um, I, I, I thought the same thing or I say this every year. I'm like, I'm going to shoot does at the beginning of the year just so I can get a couple rips, you know? Mm-hmm. And every year I see does and then I just, I let them walk. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Know, like, yeah. well, you, you tell yourself, uh, and, and I, and I did it this, this year. I'm like, man, I should probably shoot that doe. I'm like, man, it's kind of warm and, you know, mama already texted me and told me she had dinner ready and I don't really want to mess with field dressing a doe tonight. And you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you come up with all the reasons why you shouldn't shoot that deer. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. 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 Now nah, I've been there. I've been there too. Like, I'm not going to lie. Look, look, I'm not a perfect, perfect person and a buck I'll kill it wherever, you know what I mean? Um, and drag it out or whatever. But there was one spot in particular, like a doe, a doe came through and bedded down like 15 mm-hmm. yards from me embedded there for like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, I should shoot this deer. And then be lying. If I didn't, you know, part of me didn't want to shoot her because it was an area where I knew that there was a bed and I had a lot of buck activity on that camera, you know, at all hours of daylight, like leading into the season. And still even like after the season, there was a mock scrape that, that was there. They were hitting the scrape. And so there was a couple good deer that were using it in general. And I didn't want to screw that up by shooting a doe, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, you know, kind of blown up the spot or whatever. So that was part of it. And then 
I'd be lying if I didn't say that the other part of it was, I was like, man, I'm two miles back in here. And I really don't want to be having to drag a doe out two miles. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like that totally crossed my mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was partially why I ended up not, it was those two things is why I didn't like take the rip. And then now looking back on it in hindsight, it's like, man, I probably paid for that. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like it was probably my penance was like, you know, screwing that opportunity up on that deer that I just didn't pick my bow up. Right. So, man, I'm curious though, man, cause you know, you, you said you changed, you know, whenever you were hunting Tyson you, and you hit him. Right. And you, and you said you were, had decided to kind of change broadheads or whatever. And, and for that particular hunt. Right. And mm-hmm. I've done some mid season gear changes as well. You know, like I, this year it's like, I went out, well, I shouldn't say mid season, but like, as the season was starting, like the week of, like I changed my bow because I was just having, I was fed up with the bow that I had and I was having a hard time getting it tuned and it wouldn't tune. Come to find out, I actually talked to some folks where that was actually a common thing with that specific bow. Like it had a very specific kind of, uh, not ailment, a very specific thing that was kind of, I don't want to say wrong with them. Maybe it's a design flaw. Maybe it's one way to say it. That might mm-hmm. be a way, it might be a way mm-hmm. to put it. Um, that the same people, people were having the same issue getting it to tune as I was having. Um, I got tired of fooling with it. I went out and bought a Matthews and was like, screw it. Buying a Matthews, got it set up. It shoots darts. I love it. Right. So mid season gear changes happens to me every so often. Also during the course of the year, there's things I start the year with in my pack that I end up throwing mm-hmm. out because I'm like, I just don't ever use this thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I have the intention of using it or I think I'm going to need it. And I get like a month into the season. And it's like, all of a sudden, like my pack goes from like having all this stuff to like, I don't even wear clothes in anymore. You know what I mean? Like I'm just tired of carrying whatever it is. So I'm curious, man, like, you know, what gear have you, what gear, what gear do you typically change? What gear are you willing to change? What gear did you potentially change this year? Like what, what's the deal with that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm like you, you know, once you get set and dialed in, I hate making changes in, in the middle of the season. Um, 2016, I changed bows on November 12th. Wow. Crazy. Well, and that, and I, well, the, the, what was it? Two years ago, you had the crazy change your sight and all that stuff. Cause your bow dropped out of your tree before you shot that buck in the snow. Yeah. 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 Um, at least I went back with the same brands and the same, True. the same models and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, that, it, that can play, play crazy on a guy, but I had a bow in 2016 that I was fighting and fighting, uh, the timing and fighting cam lean on it left and right. And, and I, I come from some manufacturing experience, so I get it. Sometimes you just have a bad one. Yeah. Um, but I made a change on November 12th to a bow that I had shot, um, 11 months prior at an ATA show. And it just, it felt good to me. And I'm like, screw it. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to try this out. I let it rip a few times knew that it was probably not something I wanted to shoot 80, 90 yards right out of the gate, but I was, I made a 32 yard shot and it was, and I, and I, you know, shot, shot a public land, Iowa buck, um, that night, the night, the same day I set it up. And, um, that's when I started my relationship with prime and, um, I don't know. Um, I think prime prime makes a, a really high quality bow. um, and it's, it's a very accurate bow. It's a, it's a very consistent bow. 
Um, but it's a really, I've always thought it was a noisy bow. Right. That was my biggest complaint, man. Cause I've shot, you know, a bunch of, so when I first shot, you know, whatever it was, not first shot, but like five years ago or something like that. Like I picked, I was going through like buying a bow. Right. And I yep. was like, I'm yep. going to go. It was the first time I was ever actually going to go just shoot every high end bow that there was right before yep. I purchased a bow. A lot of times I was purchasing off of like friend recommendation or whatever, like so-and-so likes this bow. I trust their opinion. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot that bow, you know? Um, and so I went out and shot all of them and shot and shot the prime. And that was like one of my biggest take. There was a handful of things I didn't like about certain bows primes. It, I, I felt like it was noisy. I personally was a bit, wasn't a big fan of the back wall with, with, with those Hoyt had way too much hand shock and I didn't, and I didn't like the draw cycle. I shot elites and they were nice, but I just almost felt like they were, to me, they were very similar, uh, similar to prime. They were quieter, but it was like, I still felt like I had some hand shock in that, that I didn't like. And then at that time was a Matthews Halon and I ended up shooting that one. And that thing was like dead in hand. I mean, it weighs like a boat anchor. It's, it was heavy, but that was also right. why it was kind of quiet, right? It was, it was a heavier yeah. bow. So it was a little quieter, no hand shock. And so I ended up shooting that. And I've said, since I've gotten this new Matthews, it's like, I should have never changed. Like I just, I just shoot Matthews. Well, like doesn't, I don't know what it is. I can pick up a Matthews and shoot it. Other brands, it's like I have to learn how to shoot it. Uh huh. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, totally. Um, yeah, I'm I'm the same way. And so, about two months ago, I was at my local bow shop and just goofing off, nothing for nothing. Had a had some downtime one day. It was one of those days where it was like 90 degrees outside or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, and 35 yeah. mile an hour wind gusts. So I'm yeah. like, if there was a day to screw off and not go to the tree, this is the day. Right. And um, a guy was in there getting a new Bowtech set up. And um, he's like, uh, I was checking it out. I'm like, that looks pretty cool. And he goes, man, these bows are so awesome and easy to paper tune and blah, blah, blah. So I said, well, heck, let me, let me, let me shoot one. So he, he grabs me a bow and, and I drew it back and shot it. And I, and I just, I thought it felt really, really nice to me. Felt nice. really good. Um, and I thought, man, that was a really smooth draw cycle. And that was a really smooth release. So I shot another one and another one. And I'm like, wow, I'm very impressed. I'm like, mm -hmm. good job, Bowtech. You know what I mean? Right. Like damn nice piece didn't give it another thought um then i go to kansas and i have this deer duck this arrow right i'm like i wonder if that that deer heard the bow and sometimes man it seems like in hunting or bow hunting especially stuff gets in your head yeah and you start thinking about it and obsessing about it and and then it kind of consumes you a little bit and I said, you know what? Maybe it's time to make a change um, when it comes to my bow and just switch stuff up, man. And, you know, and I can honestly say that that Bowtech Revolt feels better to me than my current prime Black Series bow. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, man, is like confidence is like everything with your bow. Like a hundred percent. I can I can hunt, you know, um I can hunt using, you know, like I hunt out of a saddle, right? But I could jump into a tree stand and hunt and feel okay. You know what I mean? Like I don't prefer it, but I can do it, right? And I wouldn't feel, it wouldn't feel awkward to me necessarily, right? Or I, I would have confidence that if it, if it was in the right tree in the right spot, that I could kill a deer out of it, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Same thing with like whatever it is, you know what I mean? Boots. It's like, yeah, you know, I have, I, I'd like to get a new pair of boots. Just put it that way. Right. But like the ones I have and eh, they leak sometimes or whatever, but it's like, uh, I can tolerate them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I've tolerated leaky boots in the past. I'll be fine. You know what I mean? But as soon as my bow, whenever I started struggling to tune it, and I started struggling with it. The, the problem with it was, wasn't losing confidence in the bow. It was that I started losing confidence in myself because whenever I was shooting and I would shoot poorly or I couldn't get the, the arrow to land where I wanted it, mm-hmm. I was having a hard time dialing it in because now I was questioning, was it me or is, is my bow kind of jacked up? You yeah. know what I mean? And I couldn't tell which was which. And so, you know, and look, part of it was me. I'm not, I'm not a perfect shot, you know, and, and part of it was me probably outthinking myself a little bit too, you know, but I ended up picking up that Matthews and I had it dialed in. I had the arrow, you know, landing where I wanted it to land in three arrows. And then I started flinging arrows out to 60 yards and was putting them where I wanted them, you know, what I mean? right. and, I, and I was like, and in my backyard with my previous boat, it's like I was having a hard time grouping shots at 30 yards. You know yeah. what I mean? And it was just, and it's confidence is everything when it comes to your setup, a hundred percent. You know what I mean? It's like, and a lot of time it's you, but you have to know that the bow is doing its job to know that if it is you, that you need to fix your mechanics or whatever. You can't have a question, right? Yep. A hundred, one hundred percent. Um, yeah. I mean, having confidence in your equipment and I mean, it's no different. Like when I was driving race cars, if I was, if I was confident in my car and, and felt like my, I had a good setup on my car, I could drive that car harder. If I wasn't real, if I, if I went to a new track and we were on a new shock, uh, spring combination, I'm like, man, the very first time I pitched this thing into turn one, I don't know if it's actually going to turn left or not. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and those cars are the way the, the, the way you know, a little side side note here on dirt car suspension, um, to get the most effectiveness out of the suspension, you have to be on the car and work in the car, you know? Right. Um, like, like, uh, if you're, if you're starting to get too close to the wall and you, you would think, all right, well, I better let off the throttle. And if you do that in a dirt car, like you're going to get sucked into the wall, right? Being on the gas is what is making the suspension work. And that's, what's holding you on the damn racetrack. (laughs) Right. But, um, found that out the hard way my second race ever. Right. But, um, so anyways, yeah, I mean, having confidence in your equipment's huge. And like I said, I'm like, man, maybe it's time to make a change and, you know, and Hey, and, and I've also always said too, it's product first people. I'm sorry. It's people first product second, but they both have to be fucking awesome. Yeah. And, um, I will, I will rock a product that's number two or number three in that category. As long as the people are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, that's just me. I like, I like working with the people and having that relationship that you can call the people and say, Hey, this is what I got going on. You know, what's up with that? How can I change this? Or, right. you know, what's, what's a way. So I, I like having those personal relationships, you know, with those brands. And I, I like working for, you know, with and for good people. Right. Yeah. So yeah. if I feel like I'm starting to lose that relationship, 
um, with a particular brand, then that's when you're going to see me make changes. Yep. You know, I made a switch from Mystery Ranch to to rocking some Sitka and, and Kafaru packs this year. Right. And um, you know, you know, you can you can read between the lines there. Right. Um, I'm making a bow change this year. Yep. You can kind of read between the lines there. So uh, again, I think Prime they always have and they always will make a great product. Um, I just felt like it was time for me to make a change, something that felt better to me, um, that I had more confidence in and whatnot. And again, like I said, I was looking for a little bit quieter bow. Yep. hundred percent. So are you going to, are you going to do the full, like go out and do the full test? Like, and shoot shoot a bunch of bows and I, I am. Yeah, I am. Um, I will tell you that, um, and I can say this now because I know that the podcast will air, you know, a week to two to three weeks from now. Right. Uh, I did go ahead and buy a Bowtech. Nice. Um, yeah, I went ahead and ordered one. Um, it should be here in another day or so. Nice. Um, yeah. So that's what I'll be using for late season. That's awesome. And, um, but again, I still want to get out and put my hands on the new V3. Mm-hmm. Um, I still want to shoot that elite encore. Yep. As well. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a couple of bows that I still want to put my hands on and give them, give them a rip. Um, but as of right now, between, um, the PSC and the prime and the Bowtech, the Bowtech is ahead by light years. Nice. That's awesome, man. Yeah, dude. It's, it's always about being comfortable with your gear, man. Like it's like, there's no, there's no substitute for that. You know, and and, you know, even though it's different, have confidence to me is more important than uh, familiarity. You know, like having having a familiar bow in your hand that you don't maybe have confidence in. I mean, dude, I would be curious to to ask you know your listeners, you know, that are avid compound bow hunters, that thirty to forty yard window can be tricky mm-hmm. uh as far as deer being on keyed up on alert and and dropping and ducking right um especially when they're keyed up and they're well, like you know you got to stop them you know right uh, actually i had a i had a buddy of mine here tonight uh he texted me he's like dude i just had a doe 30 like 36 37 yards drop drop so low i i shot her in the friggin back straps she's like didn't spiner you know, shot her in the front of the back strap, basically no man's land, you right, know? Right. And, um, and he's like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I said, yeah, dude, so it's that, it's that between, you know, that 35 to 40 yard window. It's a, it's a scary place to be, man. As far as those deer dropping. Yeah. It's, it's funny, man. I, it's, I just did a, well, you know, my buddy Wilson, uh, he and I just, uh, did a podcast come, came out right before this one. Um, and he does a lot of bow work now. He works at a local bow shop, uh, around, around here. So he's shooting like every bow, setting them up and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I talked to him a good bit about it cause he's got some good insight and we started talking about people are probably tired of hearing me say it, but you know, I, my buddy, Brian Broderick from day six gear was on however many months ago it was. And he ta- kind of talked about his optimum whitetail setup. 
exactly what you're talking about, right? And yeah. what his theory is, is, you know, I'll make this quick because people have heard this before. He he removes all moving parts. He shoots a whisker biscuit. He's like, it doesn't move. It works. Like, you know, and actually Wilson and I were talking about it. And he's like, it, you lose two feet per second from it. Like they did the test with a chrono and like tested arrows and, and different bows. And you legit lose like two feet per second um, using a whisker biscuit versus a drop away. So the speed loss isn't that much. And um, and it'll never move. It's not going to, well, I shouldn't say it'll never move, but it's not going to break, right? Like you're not going to all of a sudden have a mechanical failure and miss a deer because you have a mechanical failure or whatever. And so he does that and takes a move or a moving part out of it. And then what he does, and it's the same thing I did and it helped me is he goes to 30 yards. Uh, Brian does this and this is what he kind of recommends for his optimal whitetail setup, go to 30 yards, shoot your single pin until you, when you're holding, just say you're holding on an X, right? For an example, and that your arrow is now landing three inches below the X at 30 yards. He's like, cause a white tails kill zone is like six inches, right? He's like, so now at 30 yards, you're, you're three inches low. If you hold on the heart, right? Well, at 30 yards, he's like most Eastern white tails, you know, that have pressure are going to drop somewhat. He's like, so if you hold right there and they drop, you should be in the top of the lungs and good to go. He's like, and if, they're, if they're closer and you're holding on the heart and you're in a tree and you're at an angle, he's like, you need to hold high anyway. So when you land high, you actually are going to land where you need to land. He's like, and what it has done is it takes all the guesswork out. He's like, you don't hover, you don't hold off, you don't hold low, you don't hold high. You hold exactly where you want that, that arrow to go and let physics make the correct shot or make the correct placement. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, so you yeah. don't, you know, you hold one place, that's it, whatever it is, however you shot your bow in, that's where you hold whenever you're, when you're shooting, no matter if you're at three yards or 30 yards and it'll account for either drop or angle whenever they're closer. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I see what you're saying, but well, cool, man. That's a pretty good, that was a pretty good, uh, catch up sesh, man. We had a lot of stuff to catch up on. Um, before I let you go though, uh, let folks out there know, where they can follow you. I know they know a lot, you know, the people listen to this, know know who the hell you are, but just in case we have any newbies out there, let them know where they can follow Johnny Utah and all his, all his shenanigans. For sure. Uh, the most up to date, current, almost play by play, um, would be my Instagram, johnny.utah.hunt. Um, I'm really religious with my IG stories and stuff like that. And you'll also get to see a lot of my photo content. Um, Arrow Wild TV is my web show, and that's going to be like gear reviews and the feature episodes of my hunts, whether it be shed hunting, elk, antelope, turkeys, whatever. Um, You can view that on either Carbon TV, which is a free platform. If you're not familiar with Carbon TV, it's like the Netflix of hunting. So there's Arrow Wild TV um, on Carbon TV or the YouTube channel. And if you do go to YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. It allows me to keep doing what I do. I don't want to have another day job. I like this day job, even though I live off of ramen noodles. It's better than going to a cubicle every day. So help me stay unemployed, employed, so to speak. <laughs> the unemployed, employed. That's awesome. Well, dude. I love catching up with you, brother. We, yeah. we, uh, we need to make sure to do this more often now that hopefully things yes, are com- calming down a little bit. Um, we'll talk beforehand, but happy holidays to you. Have a good yes, Christmas. Sir. Yeah. Same and, to you. um, kill and that. Same to all the listeners, man. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Um, this year's Thanksgiving for me was had a little more meaning, uh, was spending time with family and what you're thankful for. Uh, kiss those loved ones because, uh, tomorrow's not guaranteed for anybody. That's right, man. And on that note, we're going to go ahead and get on out of here. Thanks all for listening. 
All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.